So anyway, I was working at Popeye's Chicken and Biscuit, and this guy who was working in this construction site, like next door, came in, uh-huh. and he asks me on a date. And so we go on this date, and I take him to I take him because it was the 21st century, like it still is the 21st century to this day. Wow, you started dating um, in the 21st so century. We go, <laughs> we go together to this ice cream place that I'm really fond of, Mallard's Ice Cream in Bellingham. Check it out; they're delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have they're famous for like their crazy flavors, right? Um, like right. Earl Grey, and cardamom, music. you know, like. Like, pretty vanilla. It's coming. Like, Here comes the episode. How do you know? She told me she loves me. But how do you know? Cause she really lies. How do you know? Don't push and don't shove me. Oh boy, it's the Doom to Fail podcast. My name is Tim Dobbs, and with me, as ever, through the internet, it's the green fairy herself, Catherine Cogart. Hi, it's hey. good to be here. Yeah, what a pleasure. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry we didn't get like all the all the greatest ice cream flavors listed up, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, this is good. It gives me another week to do research on ice cream flavors. Yeah. Well, you know, one flavor that would be really interesting, I've never seen it, um, is our topic for the week, which would be absinthe flavored. And actually, I think we've got... Uh, we could dig back into when we used to have drops, and I think we've got a pretty good drop for this one. So this week, we'll be talking happy hour. With the smooth vocals of Tim Dobbs to guide us in. Yeah, I take it back. That was not a good drop. <laughs> But anyway, we're here, <laughs> and we're talking about absinthe, the uh, the anise-flavored, uh, black licorice, but green uh, alcohol that we all love to love or hate. I don't know. How do you feel about it? Um, I, I'm not into it, but uh, I feel like you just described the flavor, and star anise and black licorice are both ice cream flavors I've seen. <laughs> But it wasn't green. The, the, the ice cream wasn't green, I would bet. So that's your that's problem. That's true. Doesn't that would count. be pretty easy to fix. Yeah, you put a little bit of green food coloring in there or something, like they do with pistachio ice cream. Mmm, delicious. Love mm. pistachio. Yeah, you're... Really... What about you? Are you an absinthe guy? Uh, uh mm, mm. I, I, I mean, uh, I think you can make a few more noises about this. Yeah, are you getting the message? Like, I'm kind of out of back and forth. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. No, I, I see. I see where you're going. <laughs> did, I, did I paint enough of a sound picture for you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, so I was recently touring um, the St. George Distillery here in Alameda, California. Great tour. Uh, and uh, they were actually the really? first people to... Uh, who opened for you? Who opened for me? Um, <laughs> That's a, a good joke, right? Did yeah. you like it? No, I liked it. The problem is you were supposed to open for me and you never showed up. <laughs> ah, I'm unreliable. Yeah, I had to have your arch, men- arch nemesis All Snakes open for me. All <laughs> Snakes, that is a good name for a band. All Snakes. <laughs> yeah, just all of them. They were there. I mean, they're all right. I like it. It's sort of, um, it's kind of an ambient hiss rock, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, I read about that on on Pitchfork, the new, uh, the, 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 the new hiss rock trend. Yeah. Yeah. Although, as soon as it's written up on Pitchfork, my, my position is, eh, I don't need to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's 
seems a little harsh. I was just I was just reading on Pitchfork and just all this like trend piece about his rock, and I was like, yeah, you know what? I don't need to see all snakes on a stage trying to make music. Hmm. I'm really sad that um, trend pieces really take the magic out of life for you. I feel like <laughs> we were talking before the show about like things that we put like in our rogues gallery or enemies list. And I think for you, trend pieces are in your rogues gallery. <laughs> Which is a normal conversation to have that we all have every day with our loved ones. So who would you put in your enemies list? <laughs> oh, let me get it out. I'll show you. Just crinkle, crinkle, paper, paper. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll t- oh, they're so stupid. <laughs> I know, I know, Tim. They're really yeah, stupid. They're really stupid. <laughs> uh, but but speaking of a trend, uh, I think a trend that's kicked back off recently is uh, absence drinking here in the United States because it was recently re-legalized. Uh, the date escapes me currently. But um, so I was touring the St. George distillery. You know what year? Yeah, what year was it re-legalized? It was uh oh, I'll find it. I will find it. But okay. so the same. Oh, in two thousand seven. Um, um, see, I found it. Um. God, I just deliver on my promises. Uh, yeah, so it, it was um, it was re-legalized, and uh, the St. George Distillery was the first distillery to sell it. Um, according to them, it was because they'd been making it for years anyway and just not selling it because they liked it. So, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> Why not? Um, huh. Okay. Yeah, but so, I mean, so it's just like, it was interesting to try it, and I enjoyed it but like i don't know i don't think it was like a thing i would ask for typically like it, i don't know it feels more novelty to me than uh than drink yeah like uh, monkey brains or something you know what is that <laughs> like you eat it to see you've eaten it but like oh mm, my uh my internet I don't know. service I've never provider is called had monkey, monkey brains. brains so i don't know maybe there's something i would actually really get into yeah maybe i don't know i mean don't knock until you try it i guess but you have to kill a monkey I mean, with the right sauce, you can pull anything off, right? I don't know. Is there anything you couldn't pull off with the right sauce? I feel like there are things. I don't think so. What about, like, live octopus? Live octopus? Like, still wiggly octopus? Yeah, yeah. No, it's living. You have to fight it, and then you eat it. Well, that does sound exhausting. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't counting on you bringing in other, like the experience of killing my food. Well, food is an experience, isn't it? Into the eating process. I agree. I mean, this is why I keep gaining weight, because I regard food as, as an experience and not something for sustenance. Yes, you're here to live life, Catherine. <laughs> not, not. Uh, just keep, keep, keep rocking, Catherine. You, you're doing great. Um, I know. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I wouldn't eat an octopus on principle. <laughs> personally <laughs> they're super smart octopi um, they are smart yeah that's true that does make me feel weird about eating them yeah but is it like a really big one? Oh yeah no it's a it's a, a pacific giant octopus or giant pacific octopus whichever is the correct order farmed? of modifiers. was it farmed farmed or wild caught i do not believe yeah. there are farmed giant octopus uh for food purposes so it was in fact, this it was also a reality where I would fight an octopus for food. So, like, I don't know, anything's possible. Okay, you're on a Do desert I have island. Superpowers? It's a cartoonish desert island, right? It's just a, a mound of sand sticking out of the ocean, nothing as far as the eye can see except the palm tree. And you're leaning on one side of the palm tree, and the octopus is leaning on the other. And you've both been marooned there forever. And uh, you keep looking over at the octopus, and you're like, oh, he I looks look like. Over at the octopus, and I see a turkey leg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're a turkey. No, I'm not an octopus. You're a turkey. No, I'm not. I'm Catherine. <laughs> And then you chase each other okay, comically so around. Okay, so this is the situation. 
This is way funnier because he's got eight legs to chase you with. Yeah. If this is a situation, then I think it would be delicious. <laughs> uh, good. Okay. Now that that's settled. <laughs> Have you ever had ab- absinthe? How, how delicious is that? Uh, please frame your answer in comparison to octopus meat. It kind of tastes like star anise to me, which is kind of tastes like black licorice. Sure. Well, have you ever had ouzo? No. Tell me more. Well, it also tastes a lot like uh, star anise. It's so, so, what's up with star anise? If we can back oh. up for a moment, is it not just anise, or is star anise a kind, or? Um... It's it. I think it's star anise is anise. Um, it's because the seeds are shaped like stars, right? Oh, I could see that. Sure. Yeah, they're oh. really pretty, actually. Are they? I can't believe we're eating yeah. them. <laughs> we're eating like these, this like spice nut thing. I yeah. mean, we do that all the time. But Every not- time you go to Starbucks and get yourself some hot chocolate and put some nutmeg, that's a spice nut. <laughs> uh, but but is it a beautiful spice nut? I guess is the question. Oh, I don't know. Like most of society, I value so beauty over all other things. Opinion is. What would you say? <laughs> Cloves are kind of pretty. I think cloves are pretty. Really? I don't know. So what's like the prettiest yeah. nut slash spice? Star anise. Really? Just oh, definitely star. Yeah. I guess yeah. I don't know. What about um? I don't know. I kind of like dill. I guess it's an herb, so it's a little different. But I, you know, the slender leaves. Really, there's something to be said for that. It's definitely a different family, you know. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? No. Well, okay. You so know we how you know star anise is like the prettiest spice uh-huh. because every time you there's like a spice advertisement, there's always star anise in the picture. What spice advertisements are you talking about? <laughs> like a Williams and Sonoma, you're gonna buy some spices. <laughs> They're like, check out our spices, and there's star anise right there. <laughs> Last week, we learned that uh, you had taken a, a first-class trip across the Atlantic, and this week we learned that you see spice advertisements. I think what we're getting is that you and I come from different backgrounds. It's not that crazy. I mean, anybody can walk into a Williams and Sonoma and see these. I'm not in some, <laughs> like, upworld no, echelon of they, society they don't let me you in just I don't keep, have access to. I keep just trying to eat straight from that can of beans with the, the lid popped open with a knife. So, basically, they see my bindle and they're well, like, you can't, can't come in. You, can't, you really can't realistically cut the bean in half and serve it to your family, Tim. Let's be honest about that. Slice it like a turkey. I can so. It's worked just well, and we make do. Thank you. All right. I'm sorry I told you how to live your life. Yeah. See, that's 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 uh, uh, problem one with outreach. Mistake number one. <laughs> so, anyway. Okay. No, no. I don't, I don't think it's totally unreasonable to have seen Star Anis, but I guess I just don't see the... Uh, I don't see those ads too much. I mean, it's quite possible you're just not looking for them in the way that I am. I, I would hazard a guess that I have gone spice shopping more time in my lives than you have. That seems like a very safe guess. <laughs> okay, so to recap, uh, the most beautiful spice in the world lives inside of absinthe, along with uh, fennel and wormwood and... Uh, that's what makes it the most beautiful liquor in the world, which we'll talk about a little more when we come back in just a moment. My goodness me, something odd is happening. It's giving me the jitters. It's 
kind of up your nose and down your throat all at once. Now, what they're doing to check the public, so I'm told. Because they fill a spoon, it's giving me the jitters. Oh, I'm doing the wrong thing here. Fill a spoon with sugar. And we're back on the Doom to Fail podcast talking about absinthe. So, Catherine. Hey, Tim. Uh, here's a quick, uh, quick fun fact. When you type star anise into Wikipedia, but you misspell it, it says, did you mean state anime? Yeah, maybe I did. What if there was like some kind of crazy anime, like tournament battle between all the states? I don't know. Like maybe I did mean that and I didn't realize it. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm really into state anime. Yeah. Yeah. No, no but- that could mean a few different things, right? Well, like what? Well, it could mean, um, and like you were saying, anime war between all the states. For some reason, I'm seeing like a Transformers type of thing where there's 50 Transformers and they transform into states. Uh, yeah, no, that would be kind of cool. That that sounds exactly like the sort of thing I would have yeah, dreamt up as a kid. <laughs> Um, and then I mean, there's there's state anime in the sense that we use state in a different term rather than like a, like a place in the United States. You mean where, like uh, one what, of the what three physical be? states of matter? Yeah. Oh, it's that. Yeah. It's one of those like animes with liquids anime. and gases. It's, it's a synonym, phase anime. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's really basically a translation era, the original Japanese, which is why you you really want to get the original manga if you can. Um, I mean, always, yeah. 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 No, I understand. It's yeah. a big lift to, to ask you to learn Japanese to read this crazy thing about uh, phase change. But uh, I think you're just really going to love it. <laughs> it makes a big difference. A lot is lost in translation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a Japanese cultural thing, really. Is to, they, I, as a culture, I feel like they just have a much better, uh, full understanding of uh, phase change. So, I mean, that's just a weakness of the West, really, honestly. <laughs> Oh, man. So absinthe. <laughs> hey, so speaking of phase change, do you know how they make absinthe? How do they make absinthe? Distillation? It's foreshadowing, yeah. It's via phase change. Um, so <laughs> absinthe is defined, uh, you know, it, all, all these liquors are great because they're defined so arbitrarily. I think we, we've talked about this in the past is that alcohols tend to just be defined by some um, semi-arbitrary production method that someone encodes eventually. <clears throat> so absinthe, uh, um, I believe. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that's basically the gist of it. Um, <laughs> it is uh, basically it's any uh, sort of it's any liquor flavored with it's got to have anise, uh, fennel, and wormwood, and if it has those three things um, and is otherwise, I guess, a neutral spirit. I don't know. Maybe that. Yeah, maybe they do the thing where they uh, distill. You know, so they ferment something in a big, uh, big tank, uh, whatever it may be. Something just has sugars to produce alcohol. Then they move that over into a distillation column. They distill to like 95%, which, as we know, is the most you can distill, um, because of uh, interactions between the way water boils and ethanol boils. Uh, and then, so they end up with mostly ethanol with some interesting flavors left over. And then they take that and flavor it with uh, anise, fennel, and absinthe. That's my that's my swing at how it's made. I guess they could. Uh, no, that's probably how they do it. <laughs> I was thinking they could... Fl- in the way that you would infuse vodkas? Yeah, yeah, basically. Um, and then they may redistill. Okay. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, so, yeah, but I think if they were to... 
No, because if they were Rita still, they would end up with it clear. So yeah, no, I would imagine that it's uh that it's it's reinfused, like a vodka. So anyway. Oh, that's really easy. So you could kind of make your own absinthe at home, then, couldn't you? You could probably make an absinthe, uh, something close to an absinthe, but you probably don't have all the quite the right gear to get uh, exactly as uh, you know a store built absinthe. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So the hallucinogenic aspect, that whole reputation. Yeah. That's that's because of the wormwood, right? Yeah, so let's let's dig in here. Um absinthe is not hallucinogenic unless uh you add hallucinogens into your um <laughs> into your uh absinthe. So that's true of a lot of factors though. Um so uh wormwood has this thing called tujone in it. Um which in very high amounts actually can cause I think it was uh seizure. Um, but it's nowhere near at that level in absinthe. So, uh, it's basically not dangerous. So getting that out of the okay, way. Okay, so it's really just funny tasting vodka. I mean, but so's gin, right? Oh, Thujone. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's Thujone. true. That's yeah. true. That's true. Um, so, I, th- I, I don't know. It just seems like gin owns that reputation. That, yeah. We're funny tasting vodka. So what? <laughs> but I feel like absinthe really tries to be more. Yeah, I so I think absinthe, um, that comes out of absinthe's uh history as an uh as a medicine. So I think wormwood, I think I read wormwood was prescribed as a medicine of some kind, you know, going back uh thousands of years. Well, maybe not thousands, at least hundreds of years. Um and in fact, uh, getting into the history of absinthe, uh, it looks like it was invented around the end of the 1800s. Is that right? 1800s? Maybe the end of the 1700s. I always get my 18th century versus 1800s mixed up. But um, so it was invented around then, and it was used mainly medicinally. And one of the reasons, uh, ways they used it was uh, to treat malaria for uh, people who had gone to war, right? And uh, so all these soldiers came back from war and they're like, ah, yeah, I'm pretty into the absinthe stuff. You know what I like? All that medicine I used to, used to drink. <laughs> sure. Like morphine in world war two. Yeah. You know, those addicts. Um, well, so speaking of, so, so then, uh, you know, it kind of starts to ramp up in popularity. Uh, it sounds like it was originally invented in Switzerland. And then, so it kind of like took on its main popularity kind of in France and, and Switzerland. Um, and especially took up, uh, popularity with people of the lost generation, like that just kind of post-World War One crowd uh, in Paris, you know, I don't know, Hemingway and people. Everyone who was in that Midnight in Paris movie. Um, and the thing is, at that time, uh, it was also pretty typical. These dates seem a little weird, but uh, at least in the early 1900s, it was pretty typical to uh, take laudanum. You know what laudanum is? Uh... Wait, is that? No, I don't know what it is. It's essentially opium uh, distilled in uh, like ethanol, or not distilled, oh, but like mixed in, so- okay, so- okay, solubilized. Okay. Um, and yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was a really really common ingredient in a lot of like cure alls and like people were just taking it all the time because you know they did feel better when they took it because they mm-hmm. were you know taking opium. Um, but it was sort of pitched as something that you sure, oh, just yeah. take a look, take a teaspoon every day. You'll feel great. So um, what would happen was that, so these things are all popular at the same time. And uh, around that time, wine 
there was I guess there was some kind of like a uh, big um oh it was it was it was like a uh, um it was a bug it was a pest can't remember what kind of pest but anyway some pest came over from the United States to Europe and uh, ate up all the grapevines and like totally just wrecked the Parisian or the French wine industry and uh, in the meantime gotcha. th there's all these like you know poets and and writers and and artists who are, you know they're back from the war they're trying to comp comp contemplate the meaning of all this senseless violence and also like just like totally self-obliviate um because uh i don't know that's what artists do and uh they um they still need to get drunk well, i mean you right? have to remember world war one was like this like the bloodiest war that, that the world had seen especially europe because you have you have these these basically 18th century excuse me is that right 1800s rather yeah i'm um, super bad at that too world powers like all these leaders that were raised in the 1800s that like have all these 1800 sensibilities that have the power of 19 or 1900s weapons right like mm -hmm. gatling guns and huge machine guns and really like really destructive like the first like truly truly destructive weaponry like mass weaponry um so like nobody was expecting or had any concept of how bloody war could be until World War One. Yeah, it wasn't just like many previous wars. Well, we're gonna walk out there, and uh, you know they'll get some of our guys. We'll get some of their guys, and uh, you know at the end of it, we'll figure out who who really had the best army. Done and done. Yeah. Um, so I could totally see a lot of these, a lot of um, of survivors from these wars just coming home with PTSD, looking for some sort of substance to help them cope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Long and before we had any any tools to sort of diagnose or treat or deal with PTSD. Or we didn't have a word for it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so uh, they were unable to reach for wine to help with their uh, their their needs, and so uh, absinthe became something that they could reach for because they remembered it from the war, and there wasn't any wine anyway, and. Great. So the absinthe uh, popularity spikes, shoots way, way up. And the sort of traditional absinthe distillers who were around had trouble keeping up with uh, supply. And so um, a bunch of other people like jumped in the game. They're like, oh, absinthe is super popular. Let's do it. And uh, they just started cutting it with whatever. Yeah, but it's amazing how little we knew about chemistry at the time. We just figured out mustard gas and we figured <laughs> out a way to kill people that way. Um, but we weren't so good at the chemicals that didn't kill people. And so... Um, so yeah, it was all kinds of stuff like, ah, we'll throw a bunch of, I guess propylene glycol isn't, you know, a big killer, but, uh, they would cut with methanol maybe, uh, which, um, as we know, turns, uh, so my understanding of the way that gets processed in your body is, uh, alcohols turn into aldehydes. So, uh, that means methanol would turn to formaldehyde in your body, which is a, definitely a scary, scary word that we know is not good. So yeah, just lots of, lots of things that would like be super poisonous for you. And then, in addition to that, um, people, uh, it, it, like, tasted terrible. <laughs> and so, people, uh, they started that whole thing. Have you seen the thing where they, um, they stick a, like, a, almost like a cheese grater, um, on top of your glass and then put a sugar cube on top of that? And then they pour hot water over the sugar cube and kind of rock the cheese grater back and forth so that the sugar melts into I've your drink? I've never seen that Oh, it's real cool. Um, if you go to Paris and like in kind of a touristy area and you ask for absinthe, they'll they'll do it that way because you know it looks cool. Um, so uh, yeah, so people would add the sugar because it was like, oh, this tastes terrible. <laughs> and uh, also, it's a pretty strong drink anyway. And then 
people would be like, ah, you know what, we should get some laudanum in there. So just like, let's, let's <laughs> soak the sugar cube in laudanum, then mix it in. Um, and then maybe uh, we could set it on fire or something. So we get those fumes going, you know, like really, really F you up, you know? <laughs> and so, so this is where the uh, idea that absinthe is either poisonous or causes uh, hallucinations comes from. Is that like, oh, well, they were taking opium. And also there was a bunch of other crazy poisons in there. So, oh, yeah. I see, I see. So, uh, this is why we got uh, absinthe um, banned over much of the 20th century. But we can go into it just a little bit more when we come back in a moment on the Doom to Fail podcast talking about absinthe. I'm going to get the shakes, actually. No wonder Van Gogh cut off his ear. You like this here? My goodness me, something odd is happening. Never mind, we'll leave it at that. My goodness me, something odd is happening. My goodness me, something odd is happening. Goodness me, something odd is happening. Never mind, we'll leave it at that. And we're back on the Doom to Fill podcast talking about absinthe. Uh, such a trippy song. <laughs> uh, it's an audio collage, Tim. Yeah, it's an audio collage. You're right. God, something odd is happening. Um, so what happened was uh, the wine people, you know, they kind of get their business back in order. They regrow their vines. You know, it takes a few years. And suddenly they're like, wait, everybody's drinking absinthe. And... Uh, in combination with the church who also you know they have uh they have connections with the church of course because of sacramental wine um they're kind of able to exert political pressure to get absinthe banned uh because well it's clearly poisoning people which it was so fair enough um <laughs> yeah it's interesting how i guess because of the addictive substance and absinthe it's i was just gonna say it's interesting how quickly People are able to forget about wine and start preferring absinthe over it. But I guess if you're, you know, high on opium all the time and consuming as though it is wine, I, I guess I can see where you're coming from. <laughs> well, yeah, and also there was no wine for at least a little while, right? Like, they just didn't really have a choice, at least at the beginning. That's true, but it sounds like, from what you're describing, when wine was available again, people continued to choose absinthe over it. Well, yeah, it was what was cool. Uh, like, it definitely has, like, um. <laughs> I don't know, it has, like, a bohemian vibe to it, right? Like, when I think of absinthe, I, I, I think of that, like, lost generation in Paris in, you know, the 1920s. Um, that or mm -hmm. uh, college kids who have posters of, you know, absinthe on their dorm rooms because they think it's cool. <laughs> Aww. Well, so, I mean, I, I would say, so, you know, one thing I think about, well, who drinks this stuff and, and why? I think... You know, originally we see that it's just because, well, there's no other alcohol around. And I mean, I guess they could have picked something else. But, you know, the story goes that, well, they remembered this thing that they used to have. Um, but I think I think a lot of it is kind of the cool factor, right? Like, it's just weird, right? It's like it's green stuff. It tastes pretty funky. Like it has a medicinal quality to it, which is probably what people assumed it was helpful medicinally. Um, not that it is. And uh, I think people, especially... Creative people or people who want to be creative very often find themselves uh, looking towards some substance for like a muse, right? Like just, ah, mm -hmm. you know, maybe this will help me or this will help me. Because, you know, creating is super freaking hard. Um, not everybody gets to just like say random thoughts into a microphone, you know? And so uh, 
I think maybe that's part of it because there's there is a lot of mystery around it. Like it's this weird green color and it has these weird flavors and it's not something normal. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but I think as to why absence rather than why something else, um, I have a theory, and that is that I think mixology that like obviously a huge component of mixology is the visual element. Like, how do you set a shot on fire? How do you use phases to make your mixed drink look really cool? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and unfortunately, most drink colors are either, like, white, or rather, not white, but clear mm-hmm. or brown. Yeah. <laughs> like, whiskey colored, basically. <laughs> and so anytime you can introduce another color into your palette to work with, that opens up visual doors for yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's why absinthe, I think that's a huge component of why absinthe remains on in bars today, right? Because you need a green one, you need a blue one, you need a red one. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't drink anything blue. That's been a that's been a going policy I've had since uh, since college. It's just like ah, it's a mistake. Don't do it. Ah, <laughs> oh, Baja Blast. <laughs> 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 Baja Blast Mountain Dew you can buy at Taco Bell and it is this horrifying radioactive seafoam green color because if anybody wants to drink something that color that's where you can find it yeah you've got a clear source right there <laughs> you don't even need to go figure out where to get it we just know <laughs> hit up your local Taco Bell <laughs> so um, oh god and what if you made a mixed drink out of that that's just terrible uh, yeah no, <laughs> kind of surprised I haven't done that already. Uh, I, I really like seafoam green cup drinks. Stop Turns doing these out. things to yourself. Catherine, Catherine, there are people who love you. You don't need to do this. If they loved me, they would respect my preference of drink colors. Mm, all right. I, obviously, this is something you just need to work out for yourself. So, so be it. <laughs> um. Yeah, no. So, I, I think I agree that, like... I mean, novelty, right? That's one way to put it, is that it's something kind of yeah. new and different. And, uh, I mean, it makes sense to stock it because it allows you, yeah, a new and different kind of creative drink you can make. But also you can kind of pitch it to someone in a bar. It's just like, ooh, absinthe, kind of exotic. And it, I think it still kind of hangs over this uh, air of forbiddenness because, you know, it wasn't until 2007 that it was re-legalized. And so, I mean, there right, really weren't yeah. even that many producers of it. Interesting. Yeah. And Interesting. So I wonder the other so the other impression I've always had of Absinthe, uh, besides, you know, uh visionary bartenders and uh uh drunkards who are trying to write things in Paris, uh is um uh college people obsessing over it. Right? Like I don't know if you've ever seen that poster. It's I don't know, it's some like promotional poster of uh someone trying to make I, I don't know, sell absinthe in like nineteen hundred ish. And it just says, like, absinthe across it. And I saw that poster a lot in dorm rooms. You know, right up there with the, the Bob Marley poster and the uh, Starry Night poster and, I don't know, oh, whatever else. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've seen this I one, right? I see it. Yeah, I just looked it up. That's It's pretty cool, actually, as far as college dorm posters go. It's a lovely piece of artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, I don't know. I mean, when I was going to college, that was right when it was being uh, yeah, unbanned, re, re, reinstituted. Uh, yeah, redunulated, and so I think a lot of the appeal was that it's just like one. It harkens back to this time when like 
uh, a lot of college kids that are like creative heroes would have been writing. And then also it kind of has this forbiddenness and newness and novelty like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I guess that's, oh, I agree. yeah, that's kind of where I land on, on absinthe. It's just like it, it it's, uh, it's, it's blown up bigger than it is uh, naturally by its, its own novelty. And, and I suppose that lasts even longer because it's actually quite intense as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's people who actually like the taste. I mean, there are people who really like black licorice, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. No, I'm not, I'm not even against it. I mean, I don't know. I, I enjoy ouzo a lot and that's, you know, pretty similar. Um, mm. yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I guess there are, but I, I, I still think, I think absinthe gives us a lot more of an emotional lift than it does a, uh, sensory lift. I think when we drink absinthe where we, we channel forbiddenness and novelty, not, uh, Twizzlers. <laughs> wait, do t- wait. Black Twizzlers. Why Twizzlers? There's two kinds Twizzlers of Twizzlers. Twizzlers are pretty much just sugar, right? There's two kinds of Twizzlers. There's black licorice Twizzlers and strawberry Twizzlers. Wait, seriously? There's two kinds of Twizzlers? Yeah. My mind is like so blown right Well, it's because the strawberry ones are better. So no one really thinks this about the other This is like the day when I saw the grape red vines. I just... I don't even know. Oh, that's weird. I don't even know anymore. I guess grapes grow they're on not, a vine. They're not good. I heard it through the grape red vine. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a candy song. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a candy song. Mm-hmm. Um, Thanks. Thanks. Sugar, sugar. There oh, you yes. go. All right. That's another candy song. Oh, honey, honey. Uh, <laughs> you have any further thoughts on absinthe? Any, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just sounds like it's, you know, not something you'd ever really drink. Ever, ever, for never, ever. Um, yeah, I know. I like try it every few years just to see if my palate's changed. Oh, good for you. I don't know. That seems fine. Like, like I think we should all do with things that we don't like. Mm-hmm. Although I've given up on lobster. I used to do that with lobster, and I was like, this is too expensive for me as something I don't like. So I don't eat it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, you can get really cheap lobster now, though. Really? Because lobsters are doing. Oh yeah, lobsters are actually doing fabulously with climate change. So they're like all the damn place. So <laughs> I guess that don't makes buy sense. expensive lobster because it's overpriced because the supply is pretty huge right now. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, I think that's very similar to uh, absinthe too, right? Is that it's it's overpriced because we have a institutional memory of it not being available, and so it seems special. Lobsters and yeah. absinthe. Let's Lops- have a so, meal. <laughs> so let's go down together, get some lobster, get some absinthe, and throw out our meals. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, and while we do that, uh, we beseech you listeners to also do something great for yourself. And uh, in the meantime, uh, we'll be back next week with another fine episode of the Doom to Fail podcast. And uh, until then, that's Catherine Kogan over there. Tim Dobbs right over here. Bye.